Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. All right, you got your Bible, let's hold them to heaven and say thank you, Father, for your holy written word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what your word says I have. I am what your word says I am. I can do what your word says I can do. Holy Spirit, anoint my ears to hear, my heart to receive, and my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free. Quicken me according to the word. Change me from glory to glory. And I boldly say, I will never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll give him praise offering for his holy written word. He sent his word to heal us and deliver us. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God for his holy written word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but that word will live on eternally. Hallelujah. Praise God. This morning we're continuing our study on faith. We call the title of the series, By Faith. This is lesson number three. And our text we're going to use this morning is 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12 that reads, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Did you know you're in a fight this morning? You're in a fight. We're in a fight. It's called the good fight of faith. Now, we actually listed about 21 different verses of Scripture that are connected with our faith. For example, we talked about the, the importance of faith in the life of the believer because without it, we can't please God. Without it, we can't be saved. For the Bible says we're saved by grace. How? Through faith. And that not of ourselves. Without it, we cannot receive our inheritance. We inherit the promises. How? By faith. Hebrews 6.12 makes that very clear to us. Follow those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. And of course, we've got this verse that we just uh, quoted to you or just read to you. 1 Timothy 6.12 Fight the good fight of faith. And this is something that Paul not only preached, but he also practiced. He actually did it. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Look at what it says. I have fought a good fight. Paul, when did you do this? I don't see anywhere in the scripture you're telling us you fought somebody. He was a brawler, I'll tell you right now. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not only to me, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Do you love his appearing? Yes. Yes. Well, what does he mean we're fighting this fight of faith? What is this fight of faith that we're engaged in? What does it entail? What does it involve? You know, sometimes we go over scriptures so quickly we forget to let them settle within our hearts and minds. But remember 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24 through 27, when he said, look, everybody runs the race, but only one wins the prize. I'm not running so as to lose, but I want to win. I'm fighting to win, not to lose. I'm not just shadow boxing. I'm fighting to win. I want to win the race. Well, what are you doing? What are you fighting against? He said, I keep under my body. Woo! The thing that you're fighting with is you're sitting on it. 
It's your flesh. The flesh wars against the spirit. The spirit wars against the flesh. There's headbutting between flesh and spirit. Can you say amen to that? Was Paul the only one having that fight? No, we're all fighting the same fight of faith. And what about this? Actually, we have three enemies out there. The devil, the world, and the flesh. We know the devil's coming at us. We don't have to expound on that, do we? The world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So the fight of faith has to deal with the world that we're living in and all of its influences. Has to do with our flesh and all of its influences. And then we've got a devil out there with all of his deception coming against our minds, right? So we got three enemies, just like Jehoshaphat, coming against us. And like him, we should say, our eyes upon you. We don't know what to do. We got all these enemies coming against us, but it's called a fight of faith. Now look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, because here Paul now outlines a little bit more detail about this fight. So, for though he says we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God that are pulling down a strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ, and having it a readiness to avenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now there's a lot there that he's talking about, but notice this fight, how he defines it. It's, it's, it's involving pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations, taking every thought captive. Wow. Now the battle, he is saying, is between the ears. There's a battle for the mind. Can you see that? And we've got the influences of the world out there trying to get into our heads. We've got the flesh with feelings and emotions that want to get into our heads. And of course, we got the devil through deception wanting to get into our heads and mess up the way we think. James talked about that. We could be in such error with the way we think that we need to get delivered from our corrupt reasoning faculties. We all need that. Now, how many of you know that takes effort on our part, which is why it's called the fight of faith. We've got to use our faith to stand against all this onslaught that's coming against us. Even when it comes to why you're here this morning, especially with our younger people. Why am I here this morning? Why am I putting my time in? Why am I going to church? Is it pay to really serve God? Should I be doing what I'm doing? Why should I study my Bible? Why should I read? Why should I witness and all that? What reward is there going to be for me? Well, you remember that Jesus said one time, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where rust will corrode and moth will eat away. Remember he said that? But store for yourself treasures in heaven where rust has no power and moths don't exist. Aren't you glad for that? Neither do mice. Okay. So just to give you some insight, this quick little testimony about an individual who died and went to heaven, I want to share with you. So no matter who you are, what your age is, it should impact you, it should impact me in a powerful way to help us straighten out the way we think as far as why we're serving the Lord. This man I'm speaking of, pastor, he was a pastor, Kim, Sang Ho. And he was an associate pastor at the largest church in the world in Seoul, Korea. How would you like to pastor a million people? A million people. He was an associate. Well, his wife died. And when his wife died and left their small children, 
he was heartbroken. The kids were heartbroken, full of sorrow and grief. And five days later, he was sitting contemplating everything when all of a sudden he felt like a sword went through his back. He had a massive heart attack and he left his body. He died. And as he looked up, he saw three what seemingly were stars that came down. When he saw those stars, what he didn't know, something was happening on earth that he didn't know about. Although he saw his body lying there as he ascended on high, and the angel said, you don't need that anymore right now. You're going up there. On earth, what was happening was this. A couple of his friends were there to fulfill or finish the burial as they do in Korea. And three days, the body is there. They do what they do with the body. They mourn and everything else. And after the third day, then they will take the body and put it in a casket and then they bury it. Well, these two men had the task to go in there and take the body and put it in the casket and then bury it. Well, as they walked over to the body, he sat straight up. These guys ran as fast as they could out to the other side of the room, looked at each other, and looked back at him and heard him say, Why are you burying me? I'm still alive. They thought it was a ghost. They said, You've been dead for three days. We have the death certificate. You're dead. You've been dead for three days. We're about to bury you. And they slowly and gingerly walked back over to where he was and touched his body. That's all they knew. So now, he's ascending on high. He says, I get to the North Pole, and all of a sudden it seems like there's an escalator that just takes you all the way up to the throne of God, up to heaven, the heavenly sphere, the city of Jerusalem that's up there. And he said, they escorted me. I got up there. And when I got up there, heaven's doors open. I see Jesus. I see David. I see Stephen. And when I saw Stephen, he said, I went, Stephen, when you were stoned, how painful was that? And Stephen said to him, not at all. I just looked up and saw Jesus. I felt no pain whatsoever. I just left my body and went to heaven. Felt nothing whatsoever. Whoa. Well, Jesus said to him, look, you're not staying here very long. He said, so come on, we got to go over here and, and uh, we got to worship the Father. And as he's beginning to go uh, to where they're going to worship the Father, he sees from the throne of God, he sees a river coming down, just flowing out. And he sees trees that line this area where people are sitting down like on a sidewalk on benches. And they're sitting there and these fruit trees are there and they grab the fruit from the tree and they eat it. He says, and when they eat it, it goes into their system and it produces a fragrance that comes out of them. He says, and it was so beautiful. It perfumed the air so wonderfully that it was beyond description. And so there he is in that place, perfumed air from the fruit of the trees. Oh, the doors are open to this huge auditorium. All of a sudden he sees millions of people as far as the eye can see. And they're worshiping God. But not like we do. They're on their knees and they're bowing before the throne. Like in the book of Revelation, they cast down their crowns. They're on their knees. They're bowing before the Lord. 
He says, and the figure of the father was indescribable. He said it was such a bright, bright, bright light just engulfed the place. He said, I can't even describe what it was like when I saw him on the throne. Then, of course, Jesus said, you can't stay here long. He said, but Lord, can I see my wife? He told him, he, she died five days ago, as if Jesus didn't know that. <laughs> she died five days ago. And he said, how about this? You're here by her request. And he was stunned by that statement. She requested that you come here, and that's why you're here. And so he takes him to go see his wife, and she comes out of this beautiful mansion and as she's coming out he said she was radiant she was a glow it was indescribable how beautiful she looked clothed in the glory and he went to embrace her and she just stood there and said no you're earthly you're going back to the earth I just want you to tell the children because they're so sorrowful right now that I'm very much alive, very much alive, and I'm ecstatic. I'm so happy it's beyond words. But tell them, they are going to preach the gospel. They're going to proclaim Jesus and let them know there's a reason to do that and there are rewards for doing that because this is a wonderful place. There's nothing but greatness up here. So tell them, be faithful and serve the Lord all their days and they will be rewarded for their efforts. Well, then Jesus says, come here, I'll show you your mansion. And they go through another passageway. And he said, you have no idea what a mansion is. You think you know a mansion on earth? It's not even comparable. The mansions in heaven are so glorious, he said, that it's beyond description. But he noticed there was a woman. And the woman that he saw, he knew. And he knew that she cleaned the church. She cleaned the church. And her mansion was absolutely gorgeous. Beyond words, beyond description. Now the woman, when she was on earth, people gave her very little attention whatsoever. So I can only assume that she probably did more than clean the church. She probably was on her knees and on her face before God as she carried out those duties and responsibilities. Then he said, I saw an elder of the church, and his was much smaller than the woman's. We won't go there. He said, but then he took me over to mine. And I stood there, and I looked at it. But Jesus, it doesn't have a roof. And Jesus said, don't be concerned about that. Because you see, you're going back. And when you go back to the earth, continue doing the good works. Because the good works that you do will rise up to me as building material that will build your mansion and complete it when you get here. Whoa. Does it pay to do good works? Does it pay to be committed to store up for yourself treasures in heaven that rust cannot corrode and moth cannot eat up. Mm -hmm. 
So he said, do it. Well, all of a sudden, he says, look, it's time for you to go back. As a matter of fact, if you don't hurry to get back down there, they're going to bury your body. You won't have anywhere to go. <laughs> he said, so uh, these same three angels came to escort him back to the earth. And as we walked through, once again, the heavenly sphere, and we're about to leave, Abraham stopped me. And Abraham said to me, you're going back to the earth. But let the people down there know that Christ is coming soon. And it's much sooner than what you think. So go down there and tell them to be ready and get ready because he's coming soon. And all of a sudden he says, we left. And the same way we went up was the same way we came back down. I came back down like this escalator from heaven uh, to the earth. As I got near the area where I live, he said, I saw my body. And when I saw my body down there, I pointed at it. And they got me and pushed me and said, get down there before they bury you. He hit his, went straight into his body and sat straight up. And that's when they went running. And they came back in to touch him. Is it really you? And there are many like stories. But you know the thing is. I do believe in these last days in which we are living. God is using different means. To let everybody know. It's not church man. It's serving God faithfully from a heart. That is truly in love with Jesus. And you're here not out of obligation. Because it's Sunday morning. But you're here because you love him. And you know the sacrifice he made for you. And young people out there, you give your life to him. And you serve him. Because you see, you're in a warfare like everybody else. The world's coming against you to make you make decisions that dishonor God. Don't buy into the lie that just says everything's covered under grace. Doesn't matter how you live. Don't buy the lie. You'll have a shack in heaven. Use some good building material and serve the Lord faithfully. Give, whether it's your giving, whether it's your serving, using your talents, your gifts, your abilities, whether you're playing, whether you're singing, uh, passing out tracks, sending out cards, witnessing on the street, telling somebody else about Jesus in the workplace, showing love, letting your light shine, your light, your salt in this world and to entice others to come into the kingdom of God. Whatever it is that you're doing for Jesus... Remember, you will be rewarded by Him the only way He possibly can. And I'll tell you what, it'll be beyond anything you can even begin to imagine. So don't let the enemy come against your mind and make you think otherwise. Now, as we continue in our study, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, I want, I want us to see this because this is really outlining the, the battle that we're in. It really helps us better understand the fight of faith that we fight. And once again, where is it at? between the ears to get us to think differently than God. Okay? And this is where it began. God is the author of life. He's a sustainer of life. He is the creator of every living thing that lives. True? And he's also the creator of the vast regions of space that continue to be manifested constantly. He's the Lord of all. Is he not? When he made Lucifer, he was perfect in all of his ways. His place of perfection wasn't satisfying to him. 
And even though God established for him boundaries for his existence, he had his own thought. He originated his own thought. Remember Jesus called him the liar, the father of all lies and liars? He's the originator. Father means the originator, right? So this is where it comes from. So he is the opposite of truth. And here's what he chose to do. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? And we can't go there and preach all that. It's too much to, to share. But for thou hast said, for thou hast said, for thou hast said, for thou hast said. Wait a minute. What is faith? Jesus said, faith believes in the heart and says with the mouth. Paul echoed the same truth. He himself said, we believe, therefore we speak. Lucifer understood the law of faith and how it operated. So he said, I'm going to manufacture my own faith and I will overthrow God. I will be like the most high God. So, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? You said in your heart. Faith comes from the heart through the mouth. What did he say? I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the, cl of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Whoa. Pretty bold words. Faith-filled words coming from his heart and mouth. What does he do? He manufactures his own faith. You, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. When anyone steps out beyond the boundaries that God has established for their being, what happens? You can use your faith all you want. You can manufacture your own faith all you want. You are not going to override the word of God. No one is going to go beyond the word of God. And he spoke words from his heart that far surpassed what God ordained for his existence. And so now we see there's good, God, and now there's evil, Satan, Lucifer, fallen. Can we see that? All right. And of course, there's, I'm not going to go into the fall. That's understandable, but there's a lot to say about it. But now we know why when God made Adam and even placed him in the garden, that was perfect in every possible way, with all the fruit trees and everything that was there, perfect state, perfect utopia, fellowship with the Father, speaking with Him, talking with Him, etc., etc., etc. But in the midst of the garden, there was what? The tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil. Why did He have to place that there in the garden? Because even though evil existed outside the garden, it didn't exist inside the garden, but it existed outside the garden. He had to make him aware of that, but he also told him this. This is all yours to enjoy, but don't eat from the tr fruit of that tree, because in the day you eat thereof, thou shalt surely what? You're going to die. So now we see that God has given man an opportunity to prove himself to God as to what he would do with this most precious thing called free moral agency. The ability to make decisions and choices ourselves. Because now to exist good and evil, life and death, blessing and cursing, right? So he places them in the garden. He gives them a description of all that's theirs. 
he gives them their orders as far as work orders are concerned. Till the, he told them to do what? Take care of it, dress it, keep evil out of it, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, bring everything into your subjection and subject to your feet under his leadership. When all of a sudden, a serpent starts talking to Eve and says to Eve, Hath God said? See, no one ever questioned that before. Oh, they were having a high time in glory, experiencing life like we can't even imagine. Perfection in spirit, in soul, in body, in resources. How about this? Adam's wife was formed. Yours has to be found. I protest. <laughs> we all should have been able to go to sleep at 21, 22, whatever you want to get married, and when you wake up, there she is. Perfect. No, we got to go find one. Then you have to court her. Then you have to convince her. Then you got to put on your best clothes. You got to comb your hair. You got to look good. Right? Right. They had everything right there occupation, everything. Hath God said, Where did that thought come from? Where did it go? Hath God said that if you eat the fruit from that tree, you're going to die? He knows in the day you eat that, you're going to be like him. Isn't that what Lucifer wanted? To be like the Most High? He's holding back on you, Eve. Thoughts, imaginations, strongholds that produce behavior patterns in people's lives. You want to talk about the fight of faith? Here it comes. Eve should have said, when she heard the words, hath God said? That's a question. She should have said, God hath said. And I believe him. Now get out. That's what she should have said. And that's what she should have done. But she didn't do that. It started with a thought. Had God said? Then the thought becomes an imagination. The image is, whoa, I've seen him. Whew, I'll be like that. I will rise up to that place. Man, that tree looks pretty good to get something to eat from. These are the first six verses in Genesis. Let's read them. Here's how it happened. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had, God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, had God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, imagination, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. 
So it began with a thought, a suggestion. A thought or a suggestion that what? Went against what God said. She entertained it. She thought about it. She envisioned it. She saw herself. She saw the fruit. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof, young person, is the way of death. It may seem right. It may look good. It may feel good. But the end of that road is the way of death. And that's exactly what she did. She was enticed. She thought about it. She didn't cast down the thought. It became an image. It became a stronghold, satanic stronghold. And then it produced a behavior. That is called the fight of faith. The good fight of faith. Thoughts come to our mind that tell us it doesn't really pay to serve God. You don't really need to pray anymore. Why read your Bible? You know what those verses say. Set it aside. You don't have to walk in love. You don't have to love your enemy. You know, you don't have to be a leader or an example for others to follow. You can do what you want to do, live the way you want to live. Everything's under grace and all that. Don't buy the lie. It pays to serve the Lord, to walk with God, and do it His way. Let's, go, let's take it another step. Look in the book of Genesis chapter 4. Or, yeah, let, let's chapter 4. Do we have that? All right, forget it. Hold on. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. It's, this is outlined in, Hebrews, in Genesis chapter 4, but look at Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4. By faith, Abel, how did he do this? By faith. What did he do? Offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, his brother, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts and by it being dead yet speaketh. Cain offered a sacrifice that he felt was the best thing that he could possibly offer God. But Abel offered a sacrifice not based on what he said or what he felt. Faith is acting on what God said and doing it. Isn't that what faith is? Our faith originates with God, not with self. Not with Satan or what he would say or others and what they would believe. Our faith begins with God himself. So if Abel offered a sacrifice more excellent and acceptable to God than Cain. It was because, since it was by faith, he did it according to the way that God said to do it. Now, some say it was because of faith, not because of blood. I don't buy into that, and I'll tell you why. Because he did it by faith. And if he did it by faith, it means he offered up a sacrificial animal on the behalf of himself to God with the shedding of blood. And we understand that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission, there's no forgiveness of sin. And to appease God, to have any kind of relationship with God, fellowship with God, it requires what? Blood. So if he did it by faith, faith is acting on doing it the way God said to do it. It involved a blood sacrifice. That's faith. Cain offered the best that he had to offer from what he planted in the ground. But did God say to offer that? Apparently not. Because he didn't accept it, he didn't receive it. And so here's Cain. What Cain does, he says, like Lucifer, I'm going to do it my way. He manufactures his own faith. God will accept it because I'm going to give him my best. How many of you know that our best is never good enough? And never will be good enough? You can't, I can't offer my best and think that God should accept that. No. No. It took his best. 
It took heaven's best to reconcile us. And his name is Jesus. So, what happens with Cain? Cain comes up with his own idea. He comes up with his own way as to how he's going to sacrifice to the Lord. He's rejected because, not him, but the sacrifice was rejected. And he's told by the Lord himself, what are you downcast for? What are you upset about? If you do the right thing, then guess what? You'll be accepted as well. And what does he do? He gets angry. He gets mad. So what does he do? He allows the thought process to continue. That brother of mine, who does he think he is? He's got to do it God's way. I gave God the best thing that I have to offer. And look at him. He's getting blessed. He's accepted. I'm rejected. He's down in the dumps. He's angry. He's mortified. He's embarrassed. He's humiliated. And so the devil comes along and just says, let's take him out. Let's kill him. He's no good. Take out your anger on him. It's his fault. He doesn't want to be responsible that he did it wrong. So what does, it end up, what does he end up doing? He kills his brother. Because he didn't cast down a thought. He allowed it to become an imagination. A satanic stronghold that produced a behavior that did what? Took his brother's life. Beloved, faith does not originate with us. We can't manufacture our own faith. If we don't have a directive from God, if we don't have the word of God, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the... Sometimes we think the word of God, we take this and detach it from ourselves. By listening to what God says to do. That's the word of God. By listening to what God says to do. What did God say to do? And that's what our faith is to be based on. Now as we continue our study. Faith must be rooted in what God says. So look in the book of Exodus. And look at what it says. God gave them a statement as to how he was going to get them into the promised land. And here it is. Moses said to the people, fear not for God has come to prove you. And that his fear may be before your faces that you sin not. That should be 23. Is that not 20? Numbers 23. Not 20. Can you find that for me, Paul? Numbers 23, 20 through 23. Anyhow, in this situation, God says, look, I'm sending an angel before your face. And I want you to obey his voice and listen to him. He's going to go in there and drive out the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the uh, Amorites. All the ites are going to be driven out. They're going to be wiped out. Okay? And listen to what he's saying because if you don't obey his voice, then you're going to have a problem. But if you listen to his voice, I'll be an enemy to your enemy and an adversary to your adversaries. Is what he said. Let's read it. Behold, I've received a commandment to, to bless. And he had blessed and I cannot reverse it. Exodus. Did I say numbers? Uh, it's, Exodus, it's Exodus in the notes, but not 20. It's Exodus 23, not 20. We're going to numbers next, but that's okay. Only Jesus is perfect. Can you say amen? And, and, uh, and only we are hot. I don't know about you, but I am smoldering right now. <laughs> it's either that or the Holy Ghost to fire. <laughs> All right. You see, we have a problem with this. If we, put the air, if we put it down on two different levels, if the air conditioning comes on at a certain time, everybody freezes. So we have it set in such a way so that it comes on and off. But it comes on and off, and then the air comes on, and everybody gets frozen. And then it kicks off, and everybody gets hot. So we tried one level, which is what we tried this morning, and everybody comes in, and we've all brought our body heat. And we're on fire, man. Right? 
Okay. Now, behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way. And to bring thee to the place which I prepared, beware of him, obey his voice, provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice, and do all that I speak, then, look at this, I will be an enemy to your enemy, and an adversary to your adversaries. My nation will go before thee, and bring thee to the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Termites, and I will cut them off. And they're gone, Right? Isn't that a pretty good promise? What a statement. Okay, so in Numbers now, look at Numbers 13. In Numbers, when they get to the promised land, they have a promise that they're to believe. And they should know that by faith, God is going to do what he said he's going to do. So they get there, and exactly as they said, all these ites are dwelling in the land. And look at this. And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. They haven't said where the termites are, but they're somewhere. And Caleb stilled the people before the Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for well, we'll all be to take it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to, to check out, to spy, to search it, is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Okay. Where do they get all this that they're talking about? The evidences are there. Yes, the land is... It's a wonderful land. It's a fertile land. There's a lot of good stuff in there. But there's walled cities. It's called Jericho. There's warriors that are there. There's giants that are there. And so there's no possible way. So what are they thinking? Not what God said back in Exodus 23. No. We can't get in there because these giants are in the way. And you know what? We have a handout out there. A sheet of paper you can get out there in, in, in the reflex of our church before you go out the door on the left-hand side. And it lists all those giants that are there and what their names actually mean. And they're all emotional giants that attack the emotions, the mental uh, position of an individual, like fear, worry, anxiety, low self-esteem, etc., etc., that keep people out of the promised land. It's a mindset. It's the way we think. And so they said, we can't do it because they're bigger, they're greater, they're stronger than we are. So we can't do it. So that's what they believe and that's what they say. And that's what faith is all about. What you believe and what you say. You know what, do you know what that's called? You know what fear really is? It's faith in something other than God. It's faith in the ability of the giants. It's faith in the ability of whatever. The world, the flesh, the devil to perform in such a way says to outperform God in our lives. That's what fear is. Faith in something that fear of flying you're afraid that God won't help you and uphold you. I mean, the list goes on. All the phobias that are in the world, you're having faith in something other than God himself who said that he would do a certain thing. But anyhow, look at Numbers chapter 14 because now they said we can't do it and now God pronounces judgment upon them because they said we can't do it. Let us really think that through. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in the wilderness, and your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years, and bear your whoredoms, until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness, after the number of the days in which you search the land, even forty days. Each day for a year you shall bear your iniquities, even forty years, and ye shall know my breach. Notice this. My what? 
breach or revoking of promise. And now I'm revoking the promise. So you had a promise. If you would have just gone in, I would have defended you. I would have fought for you. I would have got you in. But now you have a breach of promise. I'm revoking the promise. I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Okay. Now they don't have a promise. They had a promise, but now they don't have a promise. Can I show you how vulnerable human beings are? Can I show us all just how we are really made? And I mean, God knows our frame, right? Go on, look at Numbers chapter 14. Look down a little bit further. Look at what it says. And they rose up early in the morning and they got themselves on the top of the mountain saying, Lo, we, have here, we be here and we'll go up unto the place which the Lord hath what? Uh, uh, he had what? Does a promise still stand? It's been revoked, hasn't it? Well, it's been revoked. That means, is he obligated to perform it? No. For we have sinned. Okay. And Moses said, Wherefore now do ye transgress the commandment of the Lord, but it shall not prosper? Go not up, for the Lord is not among you, that you be not smitten before your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword, because you are turned away from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed. Presumption is not a good thing. It's either faith, foolishness, or presumption. They presumed to go up into the hilltop. Nevertheless, the ark of the covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. Then the Amalekites came down, then the Canaanites which dwelt in that, in that hill, and smote them and discomfited them even unto Hormah. I've got to wrap my brain around this. When God said he would go fight for you and defend you and that he would get you in and he would become an enemy to all those ites that are out there, you said, uh-uh, we can't do it. They're too big for us. They're too strong for us. They're too mighty for us. Now when he said, I revoke my promise, if you go up now, I'm not going with you. They go. What's wrong with that picture? Faith does not begin with us. We can't originate our own faith. We can't manufacture our own faith. We can't just have a change in thinking and just say, well, okay, I'll go do it now. Both times they violated what God said. And what is faith based on? What God said. Not what we say, but that's what He said. You see why it's important to understand what God said? Because faith comes by hearing what God said. And if we'll do what God said, then God will fulfill His promise. So they step out. They're not afraid to go now. And they're going to die, but they're not afraid. If they just weren't afraid the first time, they would have gotten in. Can you see that? Doesn't that make a whole lot of sense? And if Lucifer would have said, Man, I don't know where that thought's coming from, but I better just get rid of it right now. God established for me a boundary that I'm not going to step over. If Eve would have said, Yes, God had said, I'm not going to touch it because I'm not going to die. Cain should have said, Okay, Lord, I'll do it your way. By faith, I'm going to offer a sacrifice that you want, not that I want to give. In other words, I'm going to live my life your way and not my way. And that's called faith. That's called faith. And real quick, we're going to close this here in a moment. Look in the book of Hebrews 6, 11, and 12. 
And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope to the end, that you be not what? Slothful, but followers of them who through fear and impatience Hey, Aaron, you're awake this morning, brother. Thank you. But through faith and patience, inherit the promise. Let me ask you a question. Should we be followers of Lucifer? No. Should we be followers of Eve? No. What about Cain? No. What about the ten spies? No. What about Abel? Joshua, yeah. Caleb, those that obeyed. You see, the Hall of Fame, the Faith Hall of Fame is all about those who did what God said to do. He didn't tell you to be, build an ark, but he told Noah to build an ark. When all those thoughts came against his mind to stop building the ark, he said, uh-uh, I'm going to listen to God rather than you. Now, the last two are, we won't even, I'll just tell you what they're all about. We won't read Matthew 4, but we will read Acts. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus gave us the perfect example of how we are to cast down thoughts and imaginations and every high thing that exalts us against, against the knowledge of God. What, what happened to Jesus? Here's our example. When he is tempted in the wilderness by the same devil that tempted Eve in the very beginning, he doesn't buy into it. If you be the son of God, then turn those stones into bread and satisfy your hunger. Where's that thought? Where's it coming from? The devil? Where's it going to? His mindset. To try to play trickery and deception with his mind to make him make a decision to do the wrong thing. And what does he say? It is written. He goes on again and he tries again to penetrate his soul, to get into his mind. Entry points into the thinking of a person. And what does he say? Hey, look, you know, cast yourself down because the angels got charge over you and if they're going to bury you up in their hands. Prove yourself to be the Son of God. He says, uh, it is written again, thou shalt worship the Lord, right? Him alone shalt thou serve. Mm -mm. He goes on and says, I'm going to show you the kings of the world. I'm going to give all this to you if you'll just bow down. He says, I'm not bowing down to anybody but the Father who sent me here to the earth to do what he told me to do. He took the word of God and when it was in its seed form, the thought that first came to him, he shot it down with the word of God and says, no, 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 I'm doing it God's way, period. He showed us how to win the battle of the mind. Can you see that? Now let's finish up, finish up with Acts. Look at Acts chapter um, 4, I believe it is. You know the story. Peter and John were taking the question because what they did was they, had a, they got a guy healed who had never walked, who was lame from his mother's womb. You would think there'd be ex, just ecstatic enthusiasm among the people, but no, they're criticized by the Jewish leaders and all that for what they had done, and now they're going to tempt them, or now they're going to persecute them and put them on trial. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle had been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. These are people that are used to being listened to, okay? But Peter and John answered and said, unlike Eve, unlike Cain, okay? Whether it be right in the sight of God to listen to you 
more than to God, you judge. We cannot speak, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Where's faith originate? With God. You're telling me not to say it, but God told me to say it. You judge. I'm saying what God said, not what you said. So what is the battle of faith? It's the battle for the mind. What is involved? Thoughts. Casting down thoughts and imaginations. Pulling down strongholds built up in our thinking by the devil. The devil telling you that you're nobody, you're not good, you're not righteous, and etc., etc. Don't buy into it. You know what? Some of our songs, and please don't, don't make me say something that I'm not really saying. Some of these songwriters of old had beautiful songs, wonderful songs, but some of them are not of faith. And sometimes even when I sing Amazing Grace that saved a wretch, it's like implanting into my head that I'm still a wretch. No, Amazing Grace that saved a one like me. Because I was a wretch, but I'm not a wretch any longer. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'll go further. I'm His masterpiece. You're His masterpiece. Some of the songs actually aid the enemy to make us think about ourselves, things that are not right, that are not true. So what are we supposed to be doing? Bowing our knees to the Word of God and saying, I may not look like it, I may not feel like it, but if you tell me I'm righteous, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Judge ye. Amen? Amen.